Welcome to the Desert Life Church podcast. We're so excited that you tuned in to hear our weekend message. From wherever you're listening from, we hope you are encouraged by this message. We've been talking about belonging as a church and we feel God has just put in our heart from Ephesians chapter 2, that great verse. Therefore, my brothers, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but you are the family of God. You belong here. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 from the message translation. And we've been focusing together as a church on the idea of belonging and that belonging is a stance we take and a posture we make together. It's not just about me turning up going, okay, guys, I'm here. Let me belong. But it's actually about me saying, hang on, can I be a disciple of Jesus, which means focus not on myself, but maybe a little bit on others and work on the skills of helping others belong as well. So I want to belong and I want to help others belong. That's the practices and the posture of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I've asked today three of our great leaders to come and share with us. Lyndon's going to come first and then Sam Harris and Hayley Harris are also going to share with us. Would you welcome Lyndon Frearson as he comes to share with us today? Thank you, Ben. So we saw the video last week about who belongs here, and I'd just like to make clear for the avoidance of doubt that engineers indeed do belong here. It was a notable omission from the video. Um, I have registered my complaints, but engineers do belong here. (laughs) Now, one of the important things to understand when we think about the context of what we're talking about at the moment, and this focus around I belong here and we belong here and you belong here, is understanding connection. And it's absolutely imperative to understand that through the long course of history, if you go back and chart in every continent, in every country, in every tribal group around the world, for all the years of our history, humans have defined themselves by determining who is the other, and making sure they're not part of that. Groups have got themselves together and informed their own identity by saying, well, we're not them and we're against them. Every major conflict, every minor conflict, has at at its roots an idea of the need to create an us and a them, and then to fight the them, the others. And we use it, and governments have used it, as a core part of mobilising nations to get behind major warfare. So in the middle of, or the start of World War II, when the Japanese had, had bombed Pearl Harbour, if you go back and have a look at the newspaper clippings and advertisements and so on that were in the US at the time in particular, they didn't talk about the Japanese who were at war with they talked about the yellow peril because it enabled us to define an other that we would mobilise an entire nation or nations against. The British did it in World War I. They talked not about the Germans, they talked about the Huns. And then in World War II, we talked about the Nazis because it's, it's another that we can fight against. And in fact, the others did it to us. And the central point of what we need to understand as Christians is that Christ did something that no other leader of a group of people has ever done before. And it's important to understand that he did this in the Jewish nation who themselves had for centuries defined themselves by not being part of someone else. That Jesus came along and said, no, 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 fundamentally, I am here for the other. Whoever you are, I am here 
for the other. Whatever your group is, the rest of the world is part of the other and you need to be in relationship with him, with them. Albert Einstein, in, his, um, in all of his work, he had focused on gravity, light, trying to understand the entire world, trying to get an, a deep core understanding of how it worked. And yet he came to this conclusion as well, that a person first starts to live when he can live outside himself. He understood that the other actually mattered. Jesus taught that the focus on self was wrong. Our entire media landscape is focused on us and how we get better, but he was saying something, no, we need to lose ourselves in order to understand the people around us. If we go to Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, then Jesus, he, he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life for me Sorry, for whoever wants to say their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is revolutionary. Never before in history has someone said that your future starts by losing your life to give it to someone else. So it's a counterintuitive truth. It goes against what every mainstream opinion had been for most of history, that life is fundamentally better focused on others. So today we are asking ourselves the question, can I place others first as Christ has commanded? And is it easy or is it hard? And we're going to look at three principles. And the three principles, the elevator principle, the, the number 10, and Haley will explore that a little bit. And the third principle is the charisma principle. The elevator principle. So when I worked at Ford, in the early 2000s, I was there for a number of years, but in the early 2000s, there was a couple of years and one period in particular where things were dark. Things were really bad. It looks like, like they were as bad as they'd ever got until a few years later when we, they actually did shut Ford down. But at that time, we thought this was it. It was all over. Ford Australia, massive company, huge number of people. And at that point, the only way they thought they could save the company was to set it up such that any purchase order over $500 had to go to the president of the company. That's how sort of squashed down everything was. Every, every book order, Ben, had to go to the president. But it was, it was serious and it was dark. And I, at that point in time, was on the Accelerated Leadership Program and we met with a company president and we sort of said to him, how do you how do you keep going at this point? Because this is just, everyone's down. The first day, the first week that I arrived in the company, I was told I wasn't allowed to go on the shop floor because they'd just laid off 400 people and I'd probably get beaten up. So it was, it was not a happy place to be. And he talked to me about this idea of the shadow of a leader. He said, when you are down, when you are feeling flat, you hunch your shoulders and your shadow gets very small. But when you stand up and your shoulders are back and your head's up, your shadow becomes large. And that shadow creates room for people to come in behind you. So your posture will either lift people up 
or drag people down. And we all know people, we all know good Christians who would say to you, if you ask them how they're going, they'll sit down and, and they'll tell you everything that's wrong. It's a counselling session. Or they'll, they'll say, oh yes, it's good, in the goodness of God, but blah. And you come away from those conversations and you just feel blur. And the elevator principle is getting to the idea that as we as Christians, if we are going to be, be about others, is going, hang on, they're not asking me how I'm going because they genuinely want to know. They're asking me how I'm going because they actually want to feel good about the world. It's, I often, when people ask me how I'm going, I say, look, I'm fantastic. And most of the time, I can tell you, particularly within the context of work, there is a mountain of stuff going on, generally all really bad, with huge amounts of pressure and stress. But if I sit there and and let it get to me, it's just going to drive me down. And the people I'm talking to don't want that. They actually want to feel like there is a hope, there is a future. We are commanded by Jesus' actions to look beyond us. Mariah Carey spoke these beautiful words. You can be the wind beneath my wings. Based on what's going to happen later in the service, we could hope that I would be able to sing that those words, but I won't. But you can lift someone up merely by your engagement with them, or you can drag them down. And as Christians, when we start thinking about, well, this is not about how I feel, it's about what my impact is on the others then we define a different way of thinking about how we speak and how we communicate with the people around us. So the question I put to you is, would others say that you, would others say that I lift, you, lift them up when we speak to them? Are you someone, when people come away from you, they go, that Christian seems to be really happy. There's a lot going on in their life and they seem to be really happy. Linwood Kuntz is a fantastic example of this, that every time you see him, you come away going, yeah, yeah, the world's pretty good. Even when things are going wrong. And that's what we're trying to get at at this point. I, one of the, the sections of Acts that I find really important in understanding this is in Acts chapter 2. And all of the disciples and the apostles had gone up to the upper room and the Holy Spirit had come down upon them. And as Pentecostals, we focus heavily on the impact that the Holy Spirit had on the people in that room and their capacity to speak in tongues. And we think, look at that, that's, that's what we want. But we miss something really, really important. Is that Holy Spirit falling upon those apostles in that room was not about the apostles. It was about everyone else because they came out of the room and they spoke to the assembled throng. There are thousands of people there from all over the world, Jews from all over the world, speaking thousands, well, not thousands, many, many different languages. And for the first time, they could hear people talking to them in their own language about Christ. And once again, the first miracle that is done, the first outflowing the Holy Spirit that is coming upon the apostles is not about us, it's not about the apostles, it's about the others. And when those people had that experience, we go into verse uh, 43 of Acts 2, and Peter Peter has spoken to them, thousands, 3,000 people had come to uh, Christ in that day. In verse 43 it says, a deep sense of awe 
deep sense of awe, majesty, weight came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And then we pass through a few more verses and into verse 46. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. The first thing the apostles did with the weight of the Holy Spirit upon them was to create a space for the others to come in and to sit in deep joy and wonder and be part of their family. Are you able to do that in your family? Are you able to do that in your life to create a space where other people with deep joy and wonder say, I want to be, I want something of that because I'm lifted up when I spend time with those people. Hey church, how you doing? Good, good. All right, as Lyndon said before, I am covering the number 10 principle this morning. So if you look to the screens, you will see the quote, believing the best in people usually brings out the best in people. All people have potential. Everyone you meet can be a 10 out of 10 type person. Believing in people usually brings out the best in them. If people believe in themselves, they can reach their potential and become the individuals that they were created to be. Alternatively, treating, a pe- treating people like a 1 out of 10 gives them something to live down to, and they might just do that. If you've been hurt or disappointed in the past, don't let the negativity colour your attitude in the future. Philosopher and poet Johann Wolfgang von Goethe said, treat a man as he appears to be and, he will, and you make him worse. But treat a man as if he already were what he potentially could be and you make him what he should be. If you turn your eyes to the screen, there's just going to be a video that plays that talks a little bit about what I'm talking about. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, uh, Susan, and where are you from? I am from Blackburn near Bathgate, West Lothian. It's a big town. It's a sort of collection of... It's a collection of... uh, Villages. Had to think there. And how old are you, Susan? I am 47. <laughs> and that's just one side of me. <laughs> okay, what's the dream? I, I'm trying to be a professional singer. And why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? Well, I've never been given the chance before, but here's hoping it'll change. Okay, and who would you like to be as successful as? Elaine Page. Elaine Page. What are you going to sing tonight? I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream from the Miserables. Okay. Big song. (laughs) Yeah? Yes.
Without a doubt, that was the biggest surprise I have had in three years on this show. When you stood there with that cheeky grin and said, I, I want to be like a lame page, everyone was laughing at you. No one is laughing now. That was stunning. An incredible performance. back to the village with your head held high it's three S's oh such a good clip I love Susan Boyle oh isn't it funny how when she walked out on stage, everyone automatically decided, you're a one out of ten. Not much is going to come from you. You can't sing. You're not going to be a professional singer. You're a one out of ten. And then as soon as she opens her mouth, as soon as her first line comes out in that song, everyone's opinions just flip. And she is a ten out of ten. Just amazing. And nobody can believe it. It's panning around in the audience at just people's looks of astonishment. And the judges, their astonishment that this woman who might not look the part, 
might not look like a 10 out of 10, could produce such an amazing song. And I just think that that is incredible. And it's just so important to see that you can't judge a book by its cover. Not, you can't judge that someone is a 1 out of 10 just by looking at them. They could so easily be a 10 out of 10. Everyone we meet has some type of song in them, some greatness, some gift inside them. Can you imagine if we treated them that way now? Mark Twain said, the really great people make you feel that you can, to, you can become great. You too can become great. The key question today is, do, you, do I believe the best of others or expect the worst? And our key response is, do I need to ask God for his grace to see others differently and appreciate who they are? Can I be a noticer of just how uniquely wonderful they are and treat them that way? Sam. That's awesome. Good morning, church. How are we? Great. It's awesome to see everybody here this morning, hey, I have a question. You know, this, uh, this last week gone, the world stopped and celebrated an amazing day. That was Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. Who, who here watched the Super Bowl? Last service, it was just Pastor Ben and I. Was anyone else watching the Super Bowl? Raise your hands in pride. Come on, I want to see them. Awesome. So we have more people today. And I just wanted to share quickly... In the Super Bowl halftime show, most boring Super Bowl ever, but in the Super Bowl halftime show, Maroon 5 and Travis Scott came out and, and did their thing. And there was another rapper that came out and he did a little rap. He, he drove out on a Rolls Royce and everyone was dancing and, and his name was Big Boy. And um, he was wearing a big, massive fur coat and uh, made him look 10 times bigger than he already was. And... Um, Pastor Ben texted me. We were watching the Super Bowl in our own homes, and he texted me and said, Sam, do not wear that on Sunday. <laughs> I am talking about the charisma principle, and I was devastated that I couldn't wear a big, massive fur coat when I talked about the charisma principle, so here I am in, in uh, normal clothes. Have you ever noticed that some people seem to be so high in demand whether it be personally or socially, even to catch up with them, have a coffee and a chat. They're just so high on demand. They have that X factor quality about them. They're energetic. They're exciting. You want to hang out with them. And I'm asking myself the question, what is it about them that gives them that, that quality? What is it about them? Is it money, fame, power? The answer is none of those. It's what we call in the, not we, because I'm not in the anthropological world, but in the anthropological world, they call it charisma. And it's not the biblical meaning of the word charisma that we see in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14, but it's the meaning charisma that means they're exciting, they're energetic, people want to hang out with them. It's a special quality about that person. And I'm going to talk over the next few moments on how to develop that charisma. There's this saying, there's a secret. The reason, the reason that people have this charisma, there's a secret. It's because they're interested in others. On the screen, it says, interested is interesting. Just remember this. When you show interest in someone, you're showing interest in their favorite topic, them. 
your, your own favorite topic. You know, Dale Carnegie writes his awesome book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and there's this quote in the book that says this, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. And Dale writes in his book six key points on developing this charisma, this attitude of excitement and energy and being interested. And I'm going to share those six key points with you this morning. So if you're a note-taking kind of person or if you're a practical kind of person like me and you like practical teaching, right now you can whip out your phones and you can type up these short, uh, easy points and in order to grow in this area this morning. The first one on the screen is become genuinely interested in other people. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's so true. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We need to be genuinely interested in other people if we want to grow friends and if we want to belong as a church community. The next one is super important. It's the first thing people see. It's your smile. If you want to draw others to you, light up your face with a smile. I said in the first service, no one wants to go up and talk to a grumpy grump. So turn that frown upside down and smile this morning. That may be a word for some people this morning. I'm looking out and I'm not seeing too many smiles. So can everybody give me a smile right now? Come on, I want to see some smiles. Awesome. You're already uh, one-sixth of the way there. The next one is remember names. This is my goal for 2019 is to remember other people's names. You know, I get to meet and hang out and and talk to people uh, week in and week out. And one thing I really struggle with is remembering names. And my goal for 2019 is to remember people's names. A person's name is the sweetest and most important sound to that person. Remember names. Number four, be a good listener. Nobody likes it when somebody doesn't listen to them when they're talking. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Ask open-ended questions. Get people talking about themselves. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them what they're into. Whatever it may be, be a good listener. Number five, talk in terms of the other person's interests. I said in the first service, if you come and talk to me about rugby league, I'm not that interested in rugby league. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not that interested in rugby league. However, if you want to come and talk to me about Star Wars or Star Trek or Legos, I'm all ears. I'm all yours. I will talk to you. No problem. Talk in terms of other people's interests. Ask people how their family's going. Talk about what's going on in their lives. But talk in, other, in terms of other people's interests, not necessarily of your own. And number six, make other people feel important and do it genuinely. Become sincerely interested in others. You know, Jesus paraphrased all of this by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And look out for others' well-beings, being interested in people. Jesus also taught us to die to ourselves and live in ways that sacrifice and build others up. Pastor Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, these words, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Isn't it true that you find people who find you interesting pretty cool? Isn't that true? 
We're drawn towards people that find us interesting, that talk about the things that we like to talk about, and that genuinely show care towards us. This key question for the charisma principle is, do I usually focus on others and their interests, or do I focus on my own? And the key response is, do I need God's help to shift my perspective to look out for others instead of my own interests? And can I receive grace for others? Hey, will you thank our three speakers, please, for talking to us about the elevator principle, the number 10 principle, and the charisma principle. I want you to think about these three things. The elevator principle. You know, we can lift people up or we can tear them down. Lifting others up. When you think about Jesus, don't you think Jesus demonstrates all of these so well for us? You know, the truth is, if you're a Christian, you don't necessarily need Dale Carnegie to tell you to be interested in other people because you've got Jesus to show you that's how a Jesus person lives their life. Isn't that true? But I find that, that the elevator principle is such a great way to encapsulate the personality and the heart of God as seen in the face of Jesus Christ. What about you? That Jesus came and he stooped down low to lift us up. He came down and Paul says it in Philippians 2, Sham, Sam shared with us from it. In the first service, when he got to that bit where he said, remember people's names, I yelled out, preach it, Sean. And he didn't like that very much. He, t- he shared, to us, shared with us from Philippians chapter 2. And Paul opens that chapter by saying, let, let the mind that was in Jesus be in you, who considered it not robbery. Oh, that's how the King James says it now. Now you're seeing that I went to Bible college 20 years ago. Who considered equality with God not something to be grasped, but became found in the form of a servant, humbling himself, obeying God, being found in the form of a man. And see, this is the posture of Jesus who could have stayed in heaven enjoying streets paved with gold and great glory and great honor among the heavenly hosts. And instead he was born as a baby in a manger. Don't you think that's amazing? Born as someone who turned away from the streets paved with gold and came to streets paved with dust. And they didn't have Volkswagens back then to do emissions. And so instead the camels did it and the donkeys and the horses. And that wasn't just gas. There were solid substances there now. And Jesus walked among us and he walked and he got up to his knees and his elbows in the blood stream of humanity. And you know, Jesus, that's the theologians call that the incarnation, Jesus becoming human to demonstrate for us the heart of God in the way God behaves towards people. And then Jesus said this to his disciples, as the father sent me, I send you. And so you and I are called to be lifters of other people, to, to, to live our lives with a posture that says, hey, I, I, I want to go and lift someone up, not take them down. Do you think we could commit to that today? Well, we, if we say yes, we're just saying, um, I, don't need, I don't need Dale Carnegie to tell me. I don't need Sam to tell me. I'm, I've got Jesus to show me. The number 10 principle. Don't you think it's amazing, this quote that Haley made, that... Um, Imagine if everybody we met, we treated them like they were a number 10 instead of a number one. Imagine if we assumed grace to that person. I'm going to treat you like a number 10. When in the rest of the world, what they do is they treat you like a number one. And if you prove you're a number 10, then you may get treated like a number 10. But the grace of God comes to each one of us, seeing great potential and great future and great healing and great status in our lives. And so God behaves towards us like we're already capable of all that. 
And then he makes it possible for us to happen. See, God's a number 10 God when he comes to us, isn't Isn't that true? God doesn't treat any of us like we're a number one. In fact, the Bible is full of terms. It's full of terms that God speaks over your life and my life. And none of those terms, I don't know about you, but you know, God looks at, looks at you and I and he says, you are holy, you are righteous, you are sanctified, you are justified. And all of these labels, I think that if you lived with me and my family are here, they can just confirm all the terrible stories about me later. If you ask them, they'll tell you, they'll tell you. <laughs> but I, I think if I look at my life, I don't always see that I match the great things God says about me. What about you? When God says, you're holy. Do you think, yes, why? Thank you very much. I am. And maybe fly a couple of laps of the ceiling. Or are you conscious of your own humanity? Are you conscious of your own weakness? Conscious of your own challenges? Conscious of your own brokenness? And don't you think this is an amazing thing about our amazing God that Jesus would come and say, I'm going to change your name and I'm not going to call you sinner. I'm not going to call you filthy. I'm not going to call you dirty. I'm not going to call you rebel. I'm going to call you holy. I'm going to call you child of God. I'm going to call you redeemed. And we say, but I don't always act like that and I don't even feel like that. But this is what God's like. God sees something in you and he speaks something over you and devotes his energy in the person of the Holy Spirit and in the cross of Jesus Christ to shape us so that our lives are in actuality what God sees they can be at the very start of the journey. God's a number 10 God who looks at people like they could be a number 10. And Jesus died that every human being could be capable of being treated by the God of heaven like a number 10. Now, what about you and I? You know, every time we love someone, every time we treat someone like a number 10, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm just copying my God. Jesus said, what I see my father doing, that's what I do. And so now every time we love someone, we're not doing it because we read a Dale Carnegie book or a John Maxwell book. We're doing it because we read a gospel book. Because we see Jesus at every turn in the Gospels treating people like they are a 10 out of 10 and the religious people getting offended because they think they're a 1 out of 10. Jesus says, you don't understand my death, my life, my sacrifice is about the great exchange where I offer my perfect life, my 10 out of 10 life in exchange for your 1 out of 10 life. And then for everyone who draws a line in the sand of their life and says yes to the gospel message, the offer of life, Jesus says, well, then come and let the pollution of your sin, the power of your sin and the penalty of your sin be switched. And Jesus takes it all upon himself on the cross, doesn't he? And he takes it into the grave. And we read those great Easter stories where on the third day, the stone is rolled away and Jesus comes forth in glorious resurrection life. Even his disciples, when they saw him, they didn't recognize him because he's now a glorious resurrected being. And the gospel message is not just will you believe in the tragic martyrdom of Jesus, but will you believe in the amazing eternal sacrifice that it was? And will you say yes to that? And will you join him as he walks in newness of resurrected life? Will you join him and say yes and make his death yours, but make his life yours? What an awesome, awesome opportunity we have of the family of God, hey church, to say yes to the gospel message in our hearts every moment, every day. And then Jesus says, and now if you're a yes to the gospel person, could you live as a yes to the gospel person? And now you're charged to see the world a different way. See, as followers of Jesus, we're not known for what we stand against. We're known for what we stand for, the redemption, the love, the life, and the grace of God in broken people's lives. Who could say amen to that? And so we're called to copy our God, the number 10 God, the charisma principle. The X factor principle. What is it that makes some people gravitate towards some people? 
usually because all of us fear rejection. All of us fear not being loved, but boy, we love it when we are loved. Isn't that true? And we get to copy King Jesus, who had such charisma, again, not the theological meaning of the word. Don't you think it's amazing that the type of people that no one would have thought were God's type of people, they just gravitated toward Jesus. Got him in trouble. It was bad for Jesus' reputation. The type of people that flooded to be near Jesus. Crowds. (laughs) And the religious people said, oh, he's hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors. Because, see, Jesus was interested in people. Hey, God help us to be a church where we're interested in people. Huh? Someone said to me during the week, I was having a chat with them, I said, I've just found this belonging series. It's not very deep. I said, can I tell you something? Loving God with everything you got and then loving your neighbour as yourself is the deepest thing Jesus taught, in his opinion. Jesus said, you can take the whole Old Testament and sum it up in this statement. Love God with everything you've got, your whole heart, your soul and your mind and your strength, and then love your neighbour as yourself. Listen, it doesn't get much deeper than that. That's the good news. We don't have to have a rocket science PhD. There's people in the room who actually have that, by the way. Welcome. (laughs) But you don't have to have that. You don't have to have a Hebrew PhD. But all of us can do better at being interested in others. Amen? Why? Because Sam told me, because Lyndon told me, because Pastor Ben told me, because Jesus showed me. If God is transforming your life through this ministry, please consider joining us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give at desertlifechurch.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Have a great week.